0: There was a record player in the family room, records strewn about. The Clancy brothers and Carol King, Simon Garfunkel singing about a bridge over troubled water. Growing up, Aaron and her brother Byron found themselves in that room a lot. They took albums out and they placed them on the turntable, the air around them filling with Barry Manilow and Joan Baez. And so they listened. They listened through the 70s, through each school year and each summer. Through good days and bad days, through divorce, when Aaron and Byron's mom kept the house with the family room and the records, and their father moved to a new apartment. Through the discomfort and uncertainty that came with joint custody, and the awareness that Aaron and Byron were the only kids they knew with divorced parents, they listened through the self consciousness that Aaron felt when she had to travel between houses and remember to pack clothes in her backpack. Aaron and Byron listened, and through it all, they became close. They bonded together, feeling a bit like outcasts, but returning time and time again to that record player. And so they listened to the albums, but they liked one artist more than any of the others. They liked his songs because they were different. They would start slow, get faster, and become slow again. In each song, the artist would tell a story. Sometimes he was an angry young man, and other times he was a piano man. His name, of course, was Billy Joel. And when Erin thinks back on those days in the 70s, of divorce and spending time with her brother, Billy's music echoes in her mind. Most of all, she remembers a plan Byron and her hatched one day at her dad's house. The day they called on Billy for help, and he answered. This is Seemingly Insignificant, I'm Christian Gobo. After their parents got divorced, Erin and her brother would spend half their time at their dad's new apartment. It was unfamiliar territory for the two of them and Aaron and Byron would explore the neighborhood on their bikes.
1: We had our bikes there, and it was kind of this, this um, parking lot that was in a U-shape, so there was a hill, and then it, it moved around. My dad kind of lived in the, the elbow or the crook. Um, his basement apartment was there, and then there were apartments like along both sides. And so we used to ride our bikes like up and down and up and down the, the driveway, the, the, the circle, the U. there are these two older, they seemed ancient to me because (laughs) they had white hair there are these two women um, and I think I say I think because I think they were sisters but I I have no idea they looked the same Um, and they had these like I don't think I'm embellishing, but I, 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 in my mind's eye, I remember them ha- having these like ice cream cone, like B-52s, like hairstyles, like that went up and they're all white. And they both were just like thin, like old Italian women. <laughs> and I think they were sisters. And their last name on their door was Scala. So S-C-A-L-A. And we called them the Scala because there was two of them. <laughs>
0: There was something deeply mysterious about the Scala. They were scary, enigmatic, like two characters out of a brother's grim story, waiting for children before they pounced. Erin and her brother always drew the attention of the Scala as they rode by their house.
1: We didn't think we were being loud, but we were probably like laughing and yelling, and you know, whatever kids, what kids do. And they used to come out onto this little porch with a broom. (laughs) And they would shake it at us and say, you kids get out of here, you kids get out of here. And we'd sort of like, you know, kind of get nervous. And But we'd say, we live here, we live here, my dad lives here. But they didn't seem to either hear that or acknowledge that or anything.
0: The cycle would repeat itself every time. Erin and her brother would visit their dad's house, ride their bikes around the parking lot, and invariably meet the Scala. The Scala would shake their broom at Erin and Byron, yelling at them. Telling them they didn't belong in the neighborhood, that they had no business there, and Aaron's pleas of innocence were rendered moot. After a while, Aaron and her brother decided they needed to do something bigger to prove that they had every right to be in the neighborhood. They decided to call upon Billy Joel.
1: We decided that Billy Joel's words were exactly what we needed to <laughs> say to them. And we said, okay, the plan is my brother Byron would ride slowly up the hill, and when they came out on the porch, he would turn and say to them,
0: I don't care what you say anymore. This,
1: this is, is my, my life. life. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. And then quickly turn around and, like, ride back down the hill. And I'd be there just in case, you know, he needed, you know, support or, like, I sort of stood ready, you know, either to run and get my dad or run up there and, you know, pull him off the bike and run away with him if they came any closer. They never came off the porch, so (laughs) we weren't sure what was going to happen or what they might do with the broom.
0: So Aaron and Byron get ready. Aaron positions herself at the bottom of the hill, waiting for her brother to return. Byron begins to crest the hill sees the scala come out of the house
1: and he yells at the top of his lungs the billy joe words which we thought oh man the billy joe they're like they're words of wisdom they're like they're you know they're revolt they're re- resistance you know it's going to free us from the scala you know because we sort of saw them as some kind of two-headed monster so you know he's he does his part perfectly he sings it and they are totally unfazed they're, they they I couldn't even tell if they like were like what the hell was that <laughs> but they just shook their broom and and so he was kind of confused at the top of the hill and he's like how could, how could that how could billy joel's words not have worked on them i mean they're so powerful
0: i don't care what you say anymore this is my Defeated, Aaron and her brother retreat back to their father's house. They break down and tell him everything about the Scala, about Billy Joel and the broom.
1: We told them we had this plan, and we told them, you know, we sang we sang these Billy Joel words to to them and they didn't they didn't acknowledge it and they didn't go away and didn't scare them. Um, and we thought we were standing up for ourselves. So my dad actually comes out. My dad's a big guy. He's like he used to play football and He's got these huge calves and he's like 6'2 and really terrifying. <laughs> um, and so he walks up to them and is like, you know, hello, my name's Jim Rose. I don't really know what he was saying because he was up there and we stayed down at the bottom of the hill. And he told them, supposedly, I guess, I hope, that we lived there and that, that we were his kids and that we had every right to ride our bikes <laughs> in the parking lot up and down the hill. And so I, tur- I saw them you know, turn around and go inside. And then my dad came down and didn't really say anything to us. He said, you you kids should be able to ride your bikes now and went inside. I'm like, hmm, that was interesting. But I was like, oh, well, I guess that, you know, solves the problem. But I was very disappointed that the words of Billy Joel, you know, didn't do the trick. Because we we just thought this plan was like the best plan ever. And I don't know, that's just... um, a fond memory i have of my brother and i hatching plans and and it's all just tied to you know divorce and feeling out of sorts and you know not belonging anywhere and home away from home and like this joint custody and just um you know i don't know kind of going through all that with my brother together, and maybe this is just one little incident that I think is, in retrospect, is funny, even though we took it pretty seriously, we took the words of Billy Joel very seriously back <laughs> <laughs> then. It,
0: it, it, it's, like, funny. I think the tendency to like vilify the the older neighbors to like where I grew up we there was um Barbara who she lived I think by herself with her with her daughter, I believe, who would come on like the weekends or something. Um and same exact thing, you know, she'd leave the trash out and if we even came close to her trash can she'd like she just appear out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: These people are like laying in wait for you, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> setting a trap. Um and then we had um you know the two. I live in a um, homeowners association, mm-hmm. so like the two landscapers that were always there, Jack <laughs> and Joe. We'd always, <laughs> Joe. yeah, so. yeah. Um, yeah, and I think it's. I think a lot of kids, if you were to ask them, or even a adults now looking in retrospect have stories yeah. like that yeah the,
1: the mean neighbor or the people always peering out i remember the scholar actually you'd see one of them kind of look out the window like part the lace curtain and kind of look out and you just knew you're only a few rods away from them actually coming down with the broom And i thought the broom was like a good touch because it, it was witchy you know it's like there's something it was also a weapon i suppose but um yeah i just remember that i'll never forget them and I, you know it's funny because i I wish that you know I'd gone back like when I was older just to see if they were there and actually like, kind of get to know them as people because who knows what they were like we just saw them as these kind of one-dimensional evil yeah. <laughs> sisters or whatever but um, yeah yeah that the sort of the, the neighbor that has no patience for children is sort of a trope i guess that's people in everyone's lives yeah. but um, yeah and it you know that to me that sort of like riding your bicycle wherever you wanted was like the free spirit of the 70s you're sort of unchanged mm-hmm. your parents are like we talked about this before your parents are are nowhere in sight and you're just like you know riding and encountering these characters and kind of to work through difficulties i just think that like it's an interesting like why would we choose th- to sing a song to mm-hmm. someone as, as a plan that we thought would work, which I just think is kind of funny, but also like, that's what kids do kind of like, they they create these plans that are kind of fantastical and unworkable in so many ways. <laughs> and
0: then the parent has to swoop yeah, in the at the end. the parent
1: always comes in and then everything's fine. But it's like, yeah, I just, I love that kind of um, childish belief in like, this is so great and it's gonna work. And like, you have such goals. <laughs> even though it's it just doesn't make any sense and I just don't know why the words of Billy Joel came to us at that point but it's like our I think our our knowledge of music was sort of you know enclosed by whatever records my mom happened to have or like TV shows or whatever so um, you know it seemed as good as any to, to use those words they seemed like they were kind of like in a way telling someone off so you know you felt empowered by them even though you don't really understand them at the
0: same time i think it's interesting too um and you were mentioning like seeing it as a as a form of like coping through divorce right and you know taking the resiliency of of kids right this the fail-safe plan this plan's gonna happen you know no matter what and then you seeing how you know you processed that with those resilient, <laughs> you know, mechanisms, right? Um, that dynamics really interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know. I think resiliency is a, it's a good point. Um, because I'm not sure I ever saw. I, maybe it, you know, on our own, each of us, we didn't feel so invincible or resilient. But maybe together, um, because we had each other, there is a certain. There was a certain level of resiliency that I think helped us get through it Um, and I I guess that seems now when you know as I grew older I feel like almost all of my friends parents ended up being divorced which is another kind of sad commentary on but maybe you know indicating a, a kind of a life that probably was changing a lot when I was young and people realizing that you know this sort of standard way of existing with one person over a long period of time is really not always tenable for some people. So it's interesting that at that moment it felt like it was such an anomaly but then it became so much more popular for children to have to work with divorced parents. And in the end I think I was glad that it happened when I was young, five or six, rather than in high school when that would have been a harder Mm time. but yeah, uh, I don't know. Resiliency is an interesting question. You don't think about that when you're in it and to look back on it. I think of that word sometimes, but then I'm not always sure. Is that is that how we were or is that how we were together? Or Yeah. I mean, they always say kids are resilient, but that's kind of a blanket statement in a lot of ways. I don't know if I'm making any it sense.
0: <laughs> I mean, sometimes they're just more ignorant you know I mean it's like you, That's
1: a better word. you're
0: blind of any problems right so you don't you don't see the bigger your blinders are still on right you don't see the bigger picture Yeah,
1: and of course you're you know you're always you're kind of at that age you're really you're still kind of thinking about yourself so much and like how you're experiencing it so that is like kind of blinders We have no idea like I did not know or even probably care at that point what my parents were thinking or going through um, but I don't know, I think, I don't know, latching onto these things of theirs, like to my mom's records, because they were a part of her, so like maybe latching onto those sort of things, like, well, she probably listened to this record and liked this song or whatever.
0: And so they listened. They listened through the 70s, through divorce. They listened as they rode bikes to cope, to heal. They listened to Barry Manilow and the Clancy brothers. Mostly, though, they listened to Billy Joel. To his songs that started slow, got faster, and became slow again. To his song that reminded them that this was their life. Go ahead with your own life and leave them alone. They listened together, and they processed the new life that they had.